Mr. Vice President, how can you defend your past support of Don't Ask, Don't Tell? I'm glad you asked that question, and let me answer by telling you a false memory. Uh, <laughs> now, the year was 1926, and I was in downtown Dover with my father, and we see two well-dressed men. Very well-dressed men. You know what I mean by well-dressed, right? Anyway, who's nervous about this story? Show of hands. We're all nervous, Joe. And I'll keep going. And these men turn the corner and kiss. And I turn to my daddy and I say, what the huh? And he said, baby, they were born this way. And that was Delaware 19 clickety-clack. Okay, Joe, thank you for being here. And thank you for everyone to play tonight, but we all know... I'm your guy. So, in closing, ever been kissed by a VP before? You just helped me win a bet, Joe. You just helped me win a bet. I, I think we're done here. Yeah? Yes, yes. And live, live from New York, it's Saturday Night Live! It's Saturday Night Live! Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. This week we'll be discussing Season 45, Episode 3 of SNL with hosts David Harbour and musical guest Camilla Cabello. I'm John Murray and I'm joined this week by lovable curmudgeon and aspiring David Harbour impersonator, Andrew Dick. If you'd like to connect with either of us, you can do so at snlpodcast.com. Enjoy the following selected highlights from this week's discussion. If you'd like to hear our full-length, ad-free, sketch-by-sketch review, it's available exclusively for our patrons at patreon.com forward slash snlpodcast. It's our patrons who make the cast possible, and we are so thankful to everyone who's already come on board. To learn more, go to patreon.com forward slash snlpodcast. All right, enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, David Harbour. Do we want to take a look at our first pre-tape? Uh, no, let's skip this. Yeah, no, this was not memorable in the least. No. But you know what? I, I think we ought to at least, you know, take a look. We here. owe it to the patrons. Sure. From the studio that brought you Joker and the Twisted Minds at Sesame Workshop comes the next gritty anti-hero origin story. Now, Andy, mm. do you agree with Variety Magazine in saying, did we need a dark take on Oscar the Grouch? <laughs> I think we did. I, I think we did. This was the pre-tape that I didn't know that I needed. <laughs> I just love, I mean, I love the moments where you're watching SNL and you're just halfway through something and you go, oh, this is a classic. Mm-hmm. I'm watching a classic right now. Yeah. Uh, and that's just, a, oh man, it's such a fun feeling. And yeah, this was a classic started from an idea from David. Mm-hmm. David and Lily Allen, his significant other. So let's yeah. credit where credit is due. Sorry. Um, but yeah, started, you know, this is one of those times where in, I think you can really point to David's involvement in the production behind the scenes mm-hmm. that he's pitching ideas. Dude and, came to play. Yeah. And I guess, uh, and I think Mikey and Streeter took this one and ran with it. Yep. 
And uh, I mean, it's it's perfect. I and actually, I want to see this movie. <laughs> you know that that's that's funny that you would say that because that actually was my feeling when this sketch ended. I was feeling remorse. Like, wait a minute, we didn't get to play in that world nearly enough. Like, they hit every character so perfectly. Mm-hmm. that you just you fall in love and you just want to see every one of their stories <laughs> you know elmo's getting busted for crack and i'm like i want to know i want to know that story <laughs> you know prairie dawn is is getting you know smacked down by uh snuffleupagus or pimp Ugh. and i'm like there yeah that's oh god that that's a world i want to revisit mikey and alex's bert and ernie is just <laughs> i mean that's the cherry on top like that's how perfect yes. this all is is that and yeah, like Bert holding Ernie and going no, it was my biggest <laughs> laugh of the season so far. I I lost it. So not um, only was this a season high, I'm gonna say this is an era high. Like this is an all time great pre tape. You know, for it the, might the be. last you know five ten years. I would say I, I'm still grinning. I've I've watched it at least half a dozen times in preparing for the cast just because there's so many little details, and it's such a perfect mashup everyone's familiar with Sesame street, right? Like that has been part of our culture for so long that nobody needs to get up to speed. Nobody's not in on the joke. Even if they haven't seen Joker, they still get exactly what they're looking at. And it it all plays so perfect. Even things as simple as like the TV news channel is (laughs) W A B C D E F G. (laughs) (laughs) This this movie is brought to you by the the letter R. Yeah. And Uh, it's guy smiley. And it's like these people, you know, they know they're Sesame street and Mm -hmm. all they just, really struck gold with this one and uh high marks to uh david and lily for realizing that there was something there and championing it um but yeah mikey day and streeter they they wrote the hell out of this one loved it yeah when snl takes something and runs with it sometimes they can do it like no one else i i don't know anyone else that's putting out commercial parodies or movie trailer parodies of this caliber and can turn them around this quick when when they nail it, they really nail it, and I I, I just so respect everybody you know in the film unit mm-hmm. that can pull these things together so quickly and get them edited down and just looking visually as good as the Joker trailer. Yeah, you know I mean, exactly. It looks as good as the damn movie. And even just listen to the soundtrack. You know, you've got this ominous piano only uh, yeah. version of the Sesame Street theme, and then it <laughs> you know begins to crescendo and build with strings and get really intense. Uh, how are they doing that how do you do that know. in literally th- three days well not even three days because you know maybe they're working on the music a little bit ahead of time but they're shooting these mm. usually on friday friday night yeah that is insane yeah. so this was beautiful it's just <laughs> it's just one for the books agreed pbs's folk of the past looks back at a 1962 performance by folk trio peter paula and murray what did you think of this Started off promising for me. I love me some 60s folk slash harmony groups okay. like Peter, Paul, and Mary. Mm-hmm. Into that. So I was like, ooh, this should be fun. And then it turned out it wasn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> Five long years is exactly how long <laughs> this sketch lasted for me. That's a hot take. So what is it that went off the rails here for you? I just, I don't think any of the jokes worked here. And I think they tried to build some story around it but yeah it's all leading to the the guy you know secretly lusting after his two uh bandmates uh, yeah which is uh, you know too easy i think and when it first hit like you know i spent four years wishing for a longer dick or something i was like (laughs) oh this is where we're gonna go huh 
so yeah, just maybe a little bit kind of hacky for me. And the song, it just it felt long. Like I think they mm. sang the song for about four minutes, and I was like, can we not? We just had a fourteen minute uh, like weekend update. We couldn't have edited this down just a little bit. Like it would have been better if it was uh, at least kept a little bit uh, trimmed. Mm. You know. So uh, yeah, for the it was the first miss of the show, and it was a pretty big miss for me. All right, I can respect that. I think I was a little warmer on it because I really respected what they were going for. I like sketches that are not what we see too much of on SNL. I like coming up with a a song that has just a pattern to it that you can fit those kind of jokes in and and people kind of understand the game very early on, you know, Mm -hmm. just going, you know, around a circle and everybody gets their chance to say something uh, unexpected. Uh, I like that, that, that feels very true to the roots of the the sketch genre. Mm -hmm. So there, there was something that, was just making me perk up and say, Oh, you know what? This is, this isn't something that we see too much of. Great. I think you're right that this could have been half as long. <laughs> there was, there was a lot of fat here to be trimmed that I think could have made it a tighter piece. And I think your, your other observation, which was my one real note on it was they were just hinting at the undercurrent of their relationship and the angst, you know, that went along with that. And mm-hmm. if that's what had have escalated as they went along and each time they go around, they're revealing more of that story and that that actually built to something. Yeah. We really like would hit a like crescendo yeah. of absurdity. And so you, you know, you get to the, like the, the last go around and he's like, you know, I spent however many uh, years standing on the edge of the bridge, you know, trying to right. convince myself to jump. Like you get to that point where like, this has been like a soul crushing experience for him. And like, if, if they'd really built to that and established it better and then just focused in on, on that, then I think we could have had a great sketch. Yeah. It either needed to be like darker or more mm. absurd or something. It needed to have a clearer focus. So you're, you're right. It didn't quite get there, but I was charmed at the try and I, and I liked the idea of this more than where they ended up getting with it. Okay. Hey gang. Did you know that one of the perks of being a Weekend Update Anchor level patron is that we'll do an on-air promotional spot for your business, product, band, event, charitable cause, or pretty much anything else? It's your airtime, so whatever you want our listeners to know, that's what we'll pitch. So, in line with that, I would like to talk a little bit about Catherine, one of our recklessly generous Weekend Update Anchor patrons. When Catherine came on board a couple years ago, I messaged her to see if it was okay to thank her and use her name on air. And she told me that she wasn't in it for the fame and glory that she was happy to remain an anonymous benefactor. So that was that. However, a few weeks ago, even though she was already entitled to our entire catalog of full length episodes, she quietly ups her pledge. So I messaged her to see if she'd like us to promote anything for her. And again, she said that she still wasn't in it for the fame and glory. So be it. But during our little exchange, she did mention that she's been dying to attend SNL, but she's had really bad luck with the SNL annual ticket lottery, and she's hesitant to fly in from California to gamble on a standby seat. So she's authorized me to make an appeal to our audience on her behalf. If ever any of our listeners score tickets to the show and find out that they can't use them, or perhaps get two tickets to the show and can only use one, she would be more than happy to jump on a plane at a moment's notice and put your spare ticket to good use. And, in exchange, that listener would score a free dinner in New York City for their generosity. I know that sounds a little unorthodox, but I can say 
that I once had a spare ticket to SNL and brought a complete stranger with me and neither they or myself turned out to be a serial killer. So this sort of thing can totally work out great though. Your mileage may vary. Anyways, if anyone would like to treat one of our most generous and humble patrons to SNL, shoot me a message through our website so that I can connect you with Catherine. Okay. Before we jump back into the cast, I'd like to thank a few more of our newest patrons, Jesse Emont of Las Vegas, Nevada, Amanda Kuczynski of the Amanda Loves to Hate Teen Mom podcast, James from St. John's, Newfoundland, Sean and Stephanie Harvey from Oklahoma City, and Tom from Buckinghamshire. Thank you so very much for your support. All right, back to the show. Let's talk moment of the night. Alex and Mikey as Bert and Ernie getting stabbed and then Bert screaming to the heavens. Uh, <laughs> chef's kiss. Loved it. All right. You stole mine. That's, yeah, I, it's, it's so no contest, right? Like, I know. Exactly. It was already the, the best sketch of the night, you know, the best sketch of, you know, recent memory. And you're right. That was kind of like the real like quintessential scene in the middle of it. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, the turning point, the tragedy. <laughs> Fantastic. So I agree with you a hundred percent. I'll give a shout out to Melissa's Elmo. I thought that was just so funny watching her getting, you know, stuffed in the cop car, declaring her innocence uh, in third person, the way that Elmo does. Right. That's just, I don't know, Melissa. She's just, she's just cute. So playing, you know, a juvenile Muppet monster, that's Melissa's territory right there. Yeah. So that was fun, but you're right. Mikey and Alex, Bert and Ernie, flawless, beautiful moment. I think we're in lockstep there. Oh, yeah. All right, best sketch. Lay it on me. Sauce. Loved it. (laughs) So funny. Classic. Everybody's talking about it. No, it's Grouch. Uh, Oscar the Grouch obviously runs away with the entire show. Mm -hmm. But, you know, uh, little side mentions to Little Miss Teacher's Friend and Soul Cycle also being uh, quite strong as well. But, uh, uh, yeah. Any other show, those could be contenders for the best uh, sketch mm-hmm. of the night. But when, yeah, when you got Grouch in the mix, uh, you know, you just got to give it to it. Yeah, you said it all. Uh, I don't know what else I would say. Those are the right honorable mentions. That's the right sketch. You just can't touch it. That was just too fantastic a sketch. So let's just keep rolling here. Who's your MVP? Hmm. You know what? I'm going to go with Bowen because he just continually... Uh, he just continues to, to crush it so far. I mean, really, like Mikey, he's just folded into the, the, the cast so instantly. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, his, his, his Flint character from Soul Cycle uh, got some of my biggest laughs of the night. And uh, it's just, you know, it's nice to see him so ready to, to take the show on. I mean, it's just really nice to see. Uh, so, yeah, let's give it to Bowen. I think that's a good choice. The big question that was left with Bowen was really is he kind of going to be a one trick pony or is the show going to pigeonhole him only into like Asian characters? Mm. We didn't know if he was versatile, if he could inhabit other characters. We just didn't know what else Bowen could bring. So it's really kind of cool that tonight we, we get the answer to that question. We see very clearly that no Bowen can have fun with pretty much anything you throw at him or anything that he crafts for himself. So there's something to be said about the fact that we're three episodes in and we've already seen like, two meaty roles from him that are very different from each other. And Mm -hmm. that's really promising. He continues to prove that he was a great hire. You got something to say. What do you got? I do because I just remembered his, uh, like guys, I just Googled racism today and it really (laughs) bummed me out. And then I Googled gay racism (laughs) racism. and that was even worse. (laughs) 
So, so I was just remembering more Bowen lines from that sketch. Uh, yeah. So no, that's that's a solid pick. I can respect that. I'm going with David Harbor. Okay, fair enough. We haven't had a chance to talk too much about what he brought, but I think uh, if you look at the show end to end, he was delivering. He was mm-hmm. game for everything. I mean, he was the Grouch, and you you need a host kind of like David Harbor to be able to pull off a, a pre-tape like that. Yeah. Um, you know, that's not a Benedict Cumberbatch role, <laughs> you know, that's a David <laughs> Harbor role and just so awesome that the stars aligned. Um, so that was great. His monologue was great. He really delivered and, you know, set the pace for the show. He was just a lot of fun to watch really capable. And I, I don't think he took a misstep the whole night. So I'll give yeah. it to David Harbor. Yeah. 100% want him back. Yep. Uh, yeah, surprising. Sometimes it's those first time hosts and you have no idea what they're going to bring and uh, they just bring it all. They look like they've been doing it for years mm-hmm. on a scale of classic, great, decent, weak or train wreck. How would you rate this episode? Mm. Man, those first 30 minutes, I thought <laughs> I was coming in here and I was like, John, we have a classic on our hands and then weekend update happened and I was like, hmm. Well, maybe it's just a great episode. And then that back half happened. Mm. And I was like, oh, it's just decent. I mean, the highs, so high. And then the lows, so low. I am going great. Yeah. I, man, I, I'm almost there. Yeah. I truly I, I am know, almost I know. There. We're, we're right on the line, but I'm, I'm hopping <sighs> on the, the great side of the line, specifically because I feel it was competent. Even though, you know, those last two sketches you felt just weren't doing it for you. I felt that while they weren't the strongest material tonight, I don't put them in the same league as some like just genuinely bad bomb material that, that we've seen in the past couple of seasons. I, I feel mm. like these are still serviceable sketches, just not the best for a night that had some really soaring highs. So I feel like you have a baseline of competent and then you have one classic moment in the grouch pre-tape and then you have a solid cold open and you know, solid, but not fantastic weekend update, which are the other tent pulls that I try to factor in to see, you know, whether it gets over the line. And I feel it just barely got over the line. It had all the key ingredients, the live material got a little shaky there at the end. That's my feeling on it, but still, this is one I'm going to come back to. And if people are asking, you know, which, which one should I be tuning into from the last run? This is the one that I think people need to see. Yeah, no, absolutely. It really like, uh, I think in time (laughs) I will be, stronger on this episode but yeah just oh man to see the greatness snatched away in the last moments like no no i wanted to come on and be so positive (laughs) well i I think you i think you held it together long enough um (laughs) no i i think that's a fair take on the show you know this had a lot of fun to be had in it but no wasn't perfect snl rarely is yeah well yeah i know but i think it got there i think this is my first unqualified grade of the season yeah, fair enough. We we were certainly heading in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so the highs are some of the best work Hesno has done in, in quite a while. So uh, generally pretty positive yeah. on it. I'm feeling optimistic. I, I hope they're able to uh, parlay this into another great run um, leading into November. We'll see what Chance the Rapper brings and uh, we'll see what uh, Mario has to say about all this next week. But before we head out, I had a chance to peek in on your latest uh, that week in SNL and I enjoyed it thoroughly. So why don't you just break down your latest episode and uh, give people a little uh, amuse bouche of what they could get if they tuned in. Uh, Well, so we've just had our first run of three episodes. Uh, The last one was just uh, 
the John Hamm Coldplay episode mm-hmm. uh, from 2008, which uh, has some of my favorite moments uh, in the show's history. Mm-hmm. Most specifically, Will Forte's uh, pedophile trick-or-treat sketch. It's a perfect sketch. It, it really is a perfect sketch. And also Bill Hader's uh, Vincent Price Halloween special is in there as well. I respect that you guys dug deep on the genesis of that and sort of, you know, how Mulaney was able to punch up the, the writing a little bit and how mm-hmm. John Hamm was kind of coming in cold with his impression. Those are the things that a good SNL podcast needs to highlight when they're doing like a, a genuinely classic episode that has a lot of oral history available for it. Yeah. And, uh, I respect that you guys tapped into it and, uh, it was, it was the take on the show that I would have wanted to hear. And I, I just, I thought you guys really, really hit that one. Good. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, also we got our Patreon going, uh, patreon.com slash that week in SNL. Uh, we've been exploring season six and we'll also be doing our first off week episode, which is watching, Bordello of Blood, starring Dennis Miller. (laughs) I really actually like the Tales from the Crypt movies back in the day. I think I was the exact right age when those came out. Mm. So I'll be interested to uh, hear what you guys have to say about that. Yeah. So that's what we got going on. Very good. All right. That's a cast. Thanks to my guest, Andrew Dick. And thanks as well to our most generous patrons, Sam Bowers, Justin Gardner, Carissa Eubank, Aaron and Trader, Donald Yates, and Neil Weinstein. If you're enjoying our show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever app you prefer to listen on. Your subscription helps us grow, and your support is greatly appreciated. We'll be back in one week with Mario Lanza and Joni Newman's October Month in Review. But until then, this has been episode number 88 of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night, and have a pleasant tomorrow. Thank you to Camila Cabello, Billy Porter, Lin-Manuel Miranda, and Woody Harrelson. It's been a dream of a lifetime. I just want to say, Mom, I love you very much. Thank you. Good night. CNN held an equality town hall with nine of the Democratic presidential candidates answering questions about their views on LGBTQ issues. And I thought it was great. Mayor Pete did especially well. You know, I've heard people ask if America is ready to have its first gay president, but there's no way we haven't already had our first gay president. <laughs> we picked 45 guys in a row. It, the better question is, which one? <laughs> My guess is Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> well, he got shot at the theater. That's a pretty gay way to go. <laughs> I bet John Wilkes Booth was like, I know where that bitch is. He's, <laughs> he's watching Kinky Boots again. <laughs>